0: I'm Corey Shapiro. This is the Getting Divorced Without Losing Your Mind podcast. In divorce news, it concerns the divorce of Kelly Clarkson and Brandon Blackstock. People following the news, they're all over the place. And I'm happy their divorce ends so we can move on to the next couple. What's interesting about this divorce is that even though Kelly Clarkson is the primary parent, she gets more time with the children. She still pays Brandon child support. $45,000 a month. I mean, that sounds super high to most of us, but maybe not to Kelly Clarkson, who makes real money. They were married for seven years, two young children. Did you guys know Kelly Clarkson even interviewed Jill Biden? She's big time. Very impressed with her. Uh, And I love her music. So what's going on here? In New York, and that's what I'm familiar with, that's where I practice, the primary parent doesn't generally pay child support. So why is Kelly paying child support? I actually had to email some colleagues. I have some divorce attorneys in California with a question like, what's going on? And what I understand is there is a formula in California. It's available online. And you literally put in how much time you get by a percentage, how much money you make, and they split out an amount. Here in New York, we're a little bit more backwards. And California is usually a little bit more progressive. Remember, we're one of the last states, I think, to have same-sex marriage. So we do things slowly. No-fault divorce, one of the last states too. Very slow in New York, very traditional. So here's what happens in New York. This happens all the time, and it's so sad because really what custody is about should be the best interest of the children. And this is what happens. Most people in New York now, the presumption could be 50-50, right? But if you get 50-50, The parent who makes more still pays child support. That's the law. There's no necessarily deviation. Now, a a judge, a smart judge, a wise judge could deviate from that. But if you have 50 50 or if you have 80% of the time, you're still paying child support. And that to me makes no sense whatsoever unless you really understand the policy. The public policy is you're trying to have some type of similar standard of living in the homes. In New York, for example, you don't want one parent having the resources to have a four-bedroom apartment in Park Avenue and the other parent having a, you know only the resources for a studio apartment in Astoria. That's Queens for people who are not from New York. Very different areas. All right. So I do commend California for separating timeshare, it seems, from finances. And I do think that is in the best interest of the children. And I do think some parents... Who do have ultra high incomes like Kelly does might pay for time, which is only in the best interest of the children, just to move on with their lives. And I think that's what happened here. I don't know. I don't know for a fact, but it did take two years for a settlement to be reached, which isn't horrible, but it's not collaborative either. So they did have some significant back and forths. All right. So let's move to the question of the episode. It goes from DM who asked, I am considering asking for a separation and would like advice on how best to proceed and what not to do so that I can ultimately remain in our family home with our child. I would like to know what happens if he won't leave the home and what my options are. I'm the main breadwinner and financial provider. Thanks. I'm just looking for initial advice on how to proceed in the most fair and amicable way. Well, I can't give you DM specific advice But I can give you some information, which happens in a lot of different cases. And the first thing you want to think about is what I like to think about is called reverse psychology. To move people, we can't be direct, especially when we're emotionally triggered. And very few divorces I've been in, you ask someone to leave the home, they do. Now, if they want to leave the home, they usually just leave it because they don't care. But if they're staying there... They want to be there. They might have talked to an attorney. They might realize, especially in states like New York, that you know, as long as they get 50-50, they're getting child support. So there might be a battle brewing. And as we talked about with Kelly's case, that's not in the best interest of the children. So what we have to do is come at it a different way. The way I would suggest is to focus on things you both will agree on. For example, you can ask an open-ended question like this. We need to figure out what we're going to do with the marital home or with our home. He has to say yes. What would you want to do with it? Now, if he says he wants to sell it, there's some options there. What a lot of people do if they sell it is, can you defer that sale? Can you defer the sale until your child, I don't know how old your child is, but let's say the child goes to college. And then can you just split what the market would be? You might get some credits, whoever remains in the home for pay down of the mortgage, but you're not going to get credits for you know, real estate taxes, condo charges, stuff like that. You might get credits for capital improvements if it's significant. What usually happens is people say, I can't wait that long for all that money. And then there's going to have to be a buyout. So the next thing I would suggest is maybe talking to a mortgage broker or just getting some type of pre-commitment to see what you can do. See if you can buy someone out. Now, that is a little bit simplistic because a lot of the times you're trading assets and you have to see what else is in there in the marital estate, and you might not have to come up as much. So for example, if your spouse has significant retirement accounts, for example, you can waive your rights to that as a credit against the buyout. So you can play with assets. But I would really focus, DM, on this reverse psychology and trying to focus on what you both agree on. As opposed to really going at it directly, which is, I want primary parenting. I think that could lead to more problems. All right, moving to some announcements. We have our website at gettingdivorce.org. You could ask us a question, a voice question for the podcast. You can submit feedback for the show. We're always trying to improve our direction of where we're going with the programming. And we have various resources we have videos, we have our ebook, and we even have live workshops. And before you go, I want to give just appreciation to all the people going through difficult divorce. And I want to let you know you're not alone. That's the purpose of this podcast, to give you support. But there's also other support for people who like to go on Instagram. I know there are some divorce professionals who go on there and try to give support, try to answer DMs. I'm not really into Instagram, but that area does have a lot of people who are trying to give knowledge and trying to help people where they can. You can also go on to other people's websites. I understand people are starting these group coaching, which I think is great. In the olden days, we would meet up and have people with like-minded experiences and just sharing your experiences, either online or in person. That's so helpful. You could talk to professionals. You know, there's a movement with these teledoctors where you can call up and have counseling and even have, I think, over text. And of course, you can always talk to a divorce attorney. But a lot of the issues with divorce, I do think, are emotional. And if it's not emotional, then it's maybe financial. So you might want to go to a financial advisor. And the lawyer, think of the lawyer like a producer. The lawyer has their hands in everything, but they're a generalist. They're not a therapist, even though they have experience in that. And they're not a financial professional, although they have experience in that. The advantage of using therapists and financial professionals is I trust they're a much lower rate than your divorce attorney. Use your divorce attorney for what they're good at, which is helping you through the legal thicket, but to get some prep work You know, reaching out to these support groups, to these therapists, to these financial professionals will give you the tools you need to really work best with your divorce attorney. And I will tell you, I think the partnership with the divorce attorney and the client work best when there really is a partnership, where there is a collaboration. And that's what it's going to be like. And if you're in a difficult divorce and look at Kelly's divorce, that was two years. It's a long time, but it could even be longer than that. And as we all know, we're in really difficult divorces. So thank you all for listening. Until next time, this is Corey Shapiro.